This is Deion Dawkins, man, and you're listening to The Scoop on OwlScoop.com. You already know. Everybody, welcome back to The Scoop, OwlScoop.com's podcast. This is Season 7, Episode 4. I'm John DiCarlo. Joined by Sam Cohn and Dante Colinelli. Kyle Gauss is off tonight. Uh, we were going to try to record a little bit earlier, but wanted to wait for the storm to calm down. Uh, we know that we have listeners in South Jersey and uh, some of the areas in, in uh, southeastern PA where the tornado hit. So certainly hope that everybody is okay, um, that you uh, took all the proper precautions. But uh, hearts go out to all of you who are affected by the storm and uh, hope everyone's safe and sound. And uh, hope you can enjoy the game tomorrow and watch some football, but uh, definitely appreciate you guys listening. And again, we do hope that everybody is okay out there. I've seen some of the footage and it's uh, not good, especially some of the stuff in South Jersey. So we do hope that everybody's okay. Um, Got a lot to talk about. We'll we'll get right to uh, the task at hand, which is to talk about this Temple Rutgers season opener. Um, We're definitely not out of COVID by any means, but it looks like it will hopefully be a lot more of a, uh, a normal college football season. We hope, um, I'm going to be teaching a class wow. tomorrow night, so I'm actually not going to be up at Rutgers, but, uh, Dante is going to be up there for us. Sam is, as we've explained before, part of our staff, but also with the Philadelphia Inquirer now is going to be covering the game up there. You guys excited to, uh, hit, I guess a mini road trip and, uh, head up and cover some college football. I can't wait. Uh, Rod said on Monday, like it's time for football. We've spent the last 25 fall practices, the summer, spring camp, waiting. I mean, after the end of last year, last year ended on such a strange note with the way the ECU game played out and then the cancellation of the Cincinnati game. It it feels like this is a long time coming of like what feels more like normal football. Uh, Supposedly Rutgers will be sold out, will be in front of a sold out crowd. So excited to have some real football kind of move past a lot of the storylines that we've been able to really dive into the last couple of weeks. You just actually see some a product on the field. Yeah, me too, man. I'm, I'm excited. I don't know if I believe that Rutgers is sold out, but I hope yeah. they are um, because I, it'll be awesome, man. Just like the electricity in the building, if it's like actually sold out, I know it's like a Rutgers crowd. It's not like we're going up to Penn state or anything, but like, I, it'll just be cool to just feel that again at all. Like sitting in the press box last year, I'm sure like both of you guys probably agree. Like it was weird. Like it was just like oddly quiet at all times, like on the field. And there was like nobody around. Like it was just a very odd experience. So I'm hoping that there are a lot of fans there. I'm hoping that it is a sellout and it'll be cool. I'm, I'm pretty excited. I've never been up there uh, either. So and, and I like going to new stadiums. So that's uh, that's another big one for me. Yeah, it's nice. My last, my, sorry, John, I cut you off. My that's last right. memory of covering a, covering a, Temple football game was sitting 10 feet away from Dante with a delayed start and a lot of strange COVID protocols wearing a mask. I mean, obviously we'll be wearing a mask and I'm not sure what their protocols are in the press box, but uh, yeah, to see fans and to see some football again is exciting. Yeah. That, that ECU game, man, what a weird, like we have come so far from uh, that game. Yeah. Really what a day. Like, you know, we just show up and they're like, yeah, Matt Duncan is suspended and then the game is delayed and all these players are out. And it's just, Wow. I can't believe that was the last time we went to a game. All right. So we know the drill. The temple is 
trying its best to rebound from a one and six season. Rutgers was a, a three win team last year, but they won all three of their games on the road. And Greg Schiano is in his second tour of duty at Rutgers. Uh, we know the Temple, uh, if you've been listening to this podcast and following our coverage, Temple got away for a couple of weeks, went up to SUNY Maritime up in the Bronx to get away for camp. Uh, they have since returned. And uh, again, it's game week now. It's a 6.30 p.m. kickoff. If you're watching from home, you can watch on the Big Ten Network. Again, uh, Sam and Dante are going to be up there for us, so we'll have coverage of the game. Um, you'll be able to check out, as you're listening to this now, check out Dante's uh, game day preview uh, for us that's got you covered. Uh, we'll kind of go right down the line here. Again, I think you know the, the, it's the easiest place to start, but it's the most relevant place to start. Um, I, and again, he has yet to play a game in a Temple uniform, but I think it's safe to assume that all eyes are going to be on Dewan Mathis, the Georgia transfer. Obviously, he can't win the game by himself. A lot of things will have to go right for Temple to win this game. And I think we're probably all in agreement here, right? I mean, this isn't it's not a Rutgers team that's that's likely to win the win the Big Ten. I mean, I think they're again for whatever preseason polls are worth. I think they're they're picked to finish second to, second to last in the Big Ten East, but they've got some players, you know, and they they've they've got. And we'll talk about this. They've got a very good secondary. They've got some weapons on offense. Uh, you know, they're they're going to be dangerous in the return game on special teams. So this isn't exactly an ideal matchup for Temple right out of the gate. Um, but we'll talk about Dewan Mathis. Again, we've had the opportunity to watch him a little bit in practice. We know he has the arm. We know he has the ability. We know that his teammates have been raving about him. What are you guys expecting from him tomorrow? I know it's a simple question, but again, I think that's that's one thing that fans have to look forward to is the, the new quarterback, the intrigue of a guy that at this time last year was starting, albeit briefly, for an SEC program. We, we know he was a former four-star recruit. Um, you know, anytime we've had the chance to talk to him, I think he's been uh, pretty good and pretty eloquent about, you know, talking about what life was like growing up. He started, you know, getting recruited in eighth grade, getting offers in eighth grade. He committed to Iowa State as a sophomore, then Michigan State, um, then, you know, Urban Meyer and, and Ryan Day kept recruiting him. He commits to Ohio State. And then, you know, it's funny to think of this at the time, you know, Justin Fields, who at some point we'd think will probably be the Chicago Bears starter. I hope he will be because he's my backup quarterback in fantasy football and he's a looks like a hell of a quarterback. Anyway, nobody cares about my fantasy football team. I know that's a, <laughs> no, that's a, uh, we care about your fantasy football team. No, that team, is, it is like cardinal rule of society. <laughs> nobody cares about your fantasy team. Um, everybody can just skip past that part. But, uh, you know, at one point, um, you know, Justin Fields was a Georgia quarterback. He transfers to uh, Ohio State. So there was all this like last minute maneuvering uh, on signing day or prior to signing day. And, and Dewan Mathis ends up at Georgia, uh, started last year's season opener. I think he went eight of 17, got banged up. Again, I, I, um, I think I said this earlier today with Patty Egan on the Fanatic. I'm not sure if they ever fully announced it, but I, we, we think he was concussed and got banged up and never really regained the starting role there, played in a few more games, but um, transferred to Temple, talked about how Rod Carey was the head coach he heard from the most. And so here he is at Temple. And again, I think we can all agree that the, the talent's there, the intrigue is there. Again, as I said earlier, his teammates have been raving about him. Now we get to see, you know, tomorrow night, or if you're listening to this uh, you know, tonight, um, just how good he can be. Again, it'll be one game. Not to say that we'll judge him off of this one game, but 
you know, again, as Dante said, as Rod Carey said, it's time for football. What are you guys expecting from him tomorrow? Knowing again, what, what we know on paper of this Rutgers defense, what are you guys expecting? What do you think he's capable of? Yeah, I think, um, honestly, my expectations are pretty moderate. I think that there's a lot of context here with Mathis and that he just has not played a lot of football, like in general. Um, you know, he lost a season at Georgia for the brain surgery. He was the starter last year. He only got through a half of that Arkansas game, came in for about a half against Florida. Um, this is a player who has not played a lot of football. The last time he saw a high volume of reps was high school. So my expectations for Dewan Mathis, frankly, are pretty low. And I think that this is a good test for him to kind of come out. And you know what? This is, you know, Temple isn't expected to win this football game. So if you're if this is the game that you're going to come out and you want to knock some rust off, this isn't the worst opponent to have for that specific reason. Um, and I think the big thing for Mathis, like John said, the abilities there. I mean, there's absolutely his arms. Great. He's a mobile quarterback. He can do all the things that you want from a modern day uh, signal caller. I think the question when you watch the limited film that we have of him from Georgia, at least for me, was the mental part of playing quarterback. Right. Like there's just a lot of bad decisions, a lot of holding the ball too long. So I'm, I'll be interested to see like how he executes the offense. Is he holding the ball too long? You know, different things like that. You know, what are his reads look like? How much does his staff trust him? But again, I think if he goes out there and he keeps Temple competitive and he gives them a chance to win this game, I think that's a win. I, I really do. I think that's a good starting point and a good expectation for the season. Because again, this is a guy who, I mean, really has, he hasn't really played at all really in college. I mean, he took, you know, he threw like 17 passes or whatever last year. Um, that's nothing. So this is really going to be his first like full-fledged game action. So my expectations are are not low because I, I think that Mathis is uh, bad. It's just low because I, I don't think it would be fair to him to expect a ton in this opener. Um, but again, that also gives him the opportunity to impress as well with low expectations. So I, I think that if he can show command of the offense and he's, you know, making good decisions and he keeps Temple in this game, I think that's a win no matter what the outcome is. I would second what Dante said. I'd be hard pressed to believe that he, he doesn't make a couple mistakes early on. It's whether it's a couple, whether it's a drive to driver two that kind of takes him to, to really find his footing and get his groove. It's funny when, when he spoke to reporters uh, again, we're recording this on Thursday. So he spoke with reporters on recording this on today's Wednesday, recording this on Wednesday. They play on Thursday. When he spoke to reporters on Tuesday, um, he had said something along the lines of like, it is impossible in college football to replicate like a, a live game in scrimmages. It's impossible to replicate that in practice. Uh, and he hasn't played a whole lot of football as Dante and Johnny both mentioned. Um, so he had said a lot of what he's trying to do kind of going into this game and preparation wise is sort of channel who he was as a true freshman, he said he, fe he almost feels like a freshman again. It's like, it, it's almost a new start for him. He's kind of trying to channel who he was when he first got into uh, when, you know, his first live action at Georgia. So uh, yeah, I, I, again, I would second what Dante said. I'm keeping my expectations pretty moderate. And I think that um, if he goes out there and he has a solid day, if like, if he plays, if he minimizes his mistakes, looks like he has some chemistry with his receivers, some continuity in the backfield, some understanding of, uh, it looks like he has a clear understanding of the playbook of the offense and things run generally smoothly, whether or not they win. I think that's a win for Dewan Mathis in game one. Let's take a, look, a little bit of a closer look at this Rutgers secondary. I know Dante, you and I have talked about this, you know, you, you've, you've seen a lot of different players, you know, for the work that you do for blue chip scouting and, um, 
I mean, I guess Temple catches a little bit of a break here because uh, Patrice Rene, the, the, the North Carolina transfer, uh, who's heard is out, won't be playing. Uh, so Max Melton will be playing uh, in his place. Then you have Trey Avery at the other cornerback spot. Um, and then uh, Avery Young at, at safety, uh, Christian Izian at strong safety. I mean, it's, it's a good secondary, a couple of potential future pros there. When I, when I asked Rod Carey that question on Monday, he kind of bristled a little bit. Um, and I, I don't, to be clear here, I'm not trying to start things up. I don't think he was saying that they weren't good, but I, he said something to the effect of like, well, I think that remains to be seen, but this is a pretty good Rutgers secondary. So two-part question for you, Dante, how, how much does it help Temple that, you know, a guy like Patrice Rene is out and, you know, how, how good are these guys are, are, you know, again, I know there's a long way between September 2nd and the NFL draft, but are these a couple of legitimate future pros that we're looking at here that, that Dewan Mathis is going to be looking at when he looks out at that secondary? Yeah, I think we are. And to answer your first question, I mean, Rene being out is huge because they brought him in from North Carolina, right? A UNC transfer, and they wanted to bump Avery Young to safety, right? Avery Young was a corner last year and they bumped him to free safety. So uh, Rene being out forces a player that they did not want to play to be in, obviously, but it also, I mean, they're keeping Avery Young at free safety. They're not bumping him back to corner. Um, so what that tells me is that their safety depth is not as good as their corner depth. Um, but I, I think that obviously Rene being out is huge. Rutgers felt good enough about him to move Avery Young, who, uh, to answer your second question, I do think is a future pro. I, I do think that he has uh, the ability to get there. Now, look, he is not, you know, this is not Derek Stingley Jr. out here at corner for Rutgers, but he's a good football player. Uh, he's got good size, good ball skills. Moving him to safety is interesting. It'll force him to play in man coverage a little bit less. Um, so we'll have to see how that goes. But I, I do think that he's a future pro. I, I think he's probably a day three guy, but, you know, that's still something. Uh, Christian Inzian, the other safety, the strong safety is really, really interesting. He's a guy who plays all over the place. Uh, he's kind of like their version of Amir Tyler, except he plays a little bit more in coverage than Amir does for us. Uh, very, very physical player, had four interceptions last season. Uh, he had a couple of pass breakups, had a couple of fumbles. He's always around the ball. I mean, he's just a, a constant ball producer. He's good in coverage. He's scrappy. Um, so, yeah, these are legit guys, especially at safety. I think Avery Young, Christian Inzen have potential NFL futures. They're not cinches. They're not all-world prospects, but uh, they're good, and they're going to be a challenge uh, for a young quarterback and, you know, for a quarterback who gets the line, right. Mathis, any quarterback, the first thing that they're going to do is where are the safeties, right? Like that's the first check mark for a quarterback when they look at the line of scrimmage. So uh, young and Indian being back there, you know, we'll have to see how Mathis handles that. Those guys are going to move around, you know, say what you want about Greg Schiano. He knows how to coach defense. That is not going to be an easy unit to, you know, read pre-snap. They're going to move around. They're going to challenge Mathis mentally. And those two guys are, I think are future pros. So, um, I think it is very good, though, that Rene is out because that might allow you to test the corners outside and stay away from the middle of the field a little bit where those safeties will be lurking, depending on what coverages they want to run out there. Um, so that's a huge advantage for Temple. Honestly, if Rene was in there, I think that makes the, uh, their life significantly harder. Let's look at this Temple offensive line. They have, you know, um, numbers wise. This is a group that has the seventh most starts in, uh, in FBS, which is, I mean, definitely a good thing. Uh, I think we can agree that, you know, they're, they're, they're bringing some pretty, pretty solid players back. Um, a guy they'll have to be 
mindful of is Mohamed Touré. Again, if you follow this Temple program, you follow recruiting, which I know a lot of you do. He's a guy that the Temple really recruited hard, didn't get down the stretch, kind of a defensive end, you know, rush, you know, stand up linebacker type of guy. Um, led them with four and a half sacks last year. Um, what do we think of this this front seven? And again, we'll get to we'll get to uh, Fadakazi and Tyshawn Fogg in a second because again, we're looking at a an inexperienced running back group too. It's going to be going up some going up against some good linebackers, but. I guess Temple has that one thing, not the only thing going forward on offense, but they're bringing back a, a pretty solid group of offensive linemen. How much of an asset is that for them in this game? Again, you got a new quarterback, you've got new running backs, mostly new running backs, which we know uh, you do bring back Jaden Blue and Randall Jones, two of the better receivers in the conference. But how good do we think this offensive line is going to be coming back, you know, with 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 CJ Prez, Adam Klein, the whole group? Yeah, I think uh... well, I think the Go ahead. No, go ahead, Sam. I guess just really quickly, I think the first noteworthy thing is that CJ Perez was banged up a little bit, but he'll be fine right. um, for the Rutgers game. So it sounds like through and through, they're a pretty healthy group. Uh, but the this, the number that stood out that stands out to me is, I mean, this is an offensive line that led the conference in few in allowing the fewest sacks per game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's hard to imagine that keeping – predominantly that same group coming back a year later, that's probably the group that uh, is going to look the best out of the gate um, across the board for Temple is a group that performed extremely well last year and is returning just about the entire group. And again, we're talking about Isaac Moore at left tackle, who, you know, is kind of seemingly bounced back uh, Joe Hooper at left guard, CJ Perez, the center, as Sam mentioned, Adam Klein at right guard, and then Michael Neese, the Dayton transfer uh, a right tackle again, so a lot of starting experience there. Dante, do you think this Rutgers front seven poses a big problem for them? You think this is a matchup where Temple can at least control the the line of scrimmage, or is it just? I know we generally not we try not to be too hot takey on this podcast, or is it just a situation where we're literally just going to have to see how things go because we're coming off a of COVID season where you know Rutgers, you know, played nine games, Temple played seven games, and we still just don't know what the hell to make of this whole thing. Yeah, it's a tough one. I think um, the running game is going to be a little bit harder to judge because Temple's line, while experienced, struggled in that area last year. So I don't know what that's going to look like against the Rutgers defensive line. They've got a couple of fringe pros. I think guys who are have a chance to be pro, but not quite like that secondary where I think they have a good shot. So, but I do, where I do think Temple certainly has an advantage is in pass protection. Um, those guys are really good. Like Sam said last year, just protecting the quarterback, giving him time was one of the few bright spots on that offense last year is that, you know, regardless of what was happening, they weren't giving up a lot of sacks. Um, so I think that's an area where they can win. Uh, up front, like just another name to add is like Julius Turner, defensive tackle. He's a little bit undersized, but he's very explosive. He sat, he got in there on Justin Fields a couple times against Ohio State last year, so he flashes. Um, but I, I think in pass protection, that's where they'll be strong. Now, the big thing is, you know, uh, John, you mentioned this. They're kind of working right with like a makeshift backfield. If they can open up holes, and I wrote this in the preview. If you guys read that on on, uh, <laughs> it should be up by now. And this coming out in the morning, but. Um, like if they can open up holes for those running backs, like that's just, you know, it's going to make their job a whole lot easier. It is, you know, running, (laughs) running backs can run through holes. Any running back can be productive. If an offensive line is good, especially in college football, it's like really, you know, I've seen guys who run like five flat in the 40 rush for a thousand yards, you know? So like, 
if the offensive line can win that battle, I mean, Temple's got a shot to win this game. I think that's one of like the key tipping points is how they're able to run the ball and kind of uh, keep that Rutgers secondary in check a little bit. But I don't know, John, I really don't. Like you said, like, it's just too, I don't know how much better Temple's gotten. I don't know how much better Rutgers defensive line has gotten at stopping the run. They weren't good at it last year. Uh, frankly, they gave up like almost 300 or 200 plus rushing yards a game last right. year. So I don't know. We'll see, but that that's a huge deal. If Temple can open up lanes, make the lives of these young running backs easy, it's going to, you know, they, it's going to make this game a lot more competitive. As we know too, I think uh, with any fan base, with any college program, the, the offensive coordinator, if, if the head coach is the most scrutinized guy out there, the offensive coordinator is probably like one a on that group. And I've seen every single you know, if we, if we look at, you know, ever since the, the, you know, Al Golden started to turn things around in 2006, I mean, every temple offensive coordinator at some point has been criticized. And we're talking about some good guys who, you know, George DeLeon, who coached Donovan McNabb and Marvin Harrison at, at Syracuse and has been in the NFL. Matt Rule was an off co-offensive coordinator at one point, uh, you know, guys that have been, you know, obviously Matt's coaching in the NFL now with the Panthers, but there's going to be a lot of focus again on what can Mike Uramovich and this group do with Dewan Mathis. I'll be certainly interested in what the play calling is like. Are they going to have him throwing a lot at first? Are they going to have some design runs? I think we're all kind of in agreement that maybe we won't see as many design runs as we think. And it might be a situation where he just gets more creative and, and extending plays out of the pocket. But I wonder how committed they will be to the run uh, to kind of, you know, see what they can do against that front seven. Again, Rutgers has some, you know, a couple of pretty good linebackers too. So they're definitely not chopped liver there, but how committed will they be to the run? Again, um, I don't know how much Ruley's going to get the ball. Taylor, I'm really going to get the ball. Um, if you haven't had the chance to check out the depth chart. So Ed Sadie and Trey Blair, uh, who played safety last year, um, he's now the, the listed as the number two back. They, you know, they say that they like the intriguing options that they have there, but again, a lot of question marks, you know, Ed Sadie hasn't played, um, you know, got some carries last year, um, but isn't a guy that's, you know, that's logged 150 carries or anything like that. They like Trey Blair. Trey Blair was a, a heck of a, a dual threat quarterback at Haverford high school, but it's going to be his first time as a college running back. Um, so again, it's a bit of an untested group there. Um, do you guys think they'll be committed to the run and, and trying to kind of soften that up, soften up that group? Or do you think they'll be pass heavy? That's a good question. I feel like I've gone back and forth on that a little bit. If you asked me yesterday when I thought it was going to rain like crazy, then I'd say, yeah, they're going to really focus on keeping the ball on the ground and they're not going to really test the one uh, in that kind of weather yet. But I would imagine my, my inclination is that they're probably more pass heavy just because they don't, it doesn't sound at least like they have an established like this is our, I'm sure they do. It's, it's, it's hard for me to imagine they don't have an established run game plan. That's, I almost caught myself saying that, but it doesn't sound like they really have, they're not where they want to be. It sounds like they're still in the testing phase of that backfield. So I would imagine they're probably more pass heavy. Yeah, I, I would echo that. I think, I mean, I, I, frankly, I just think it would be smart to be pass heavy. It leans into the strengths of your own team. Um, your two best offensive players are wide receivers, probably, uh, your offensive line is significantly better at pass blocking than run blocking. Uh, you just got a quarterback with a cannon for an arm. I, I just think that that is the strength of this team. Now, obviously, like I said, when we talked, uh, in the last segment is like, yeah, running the ball is going to be important. If they can win there, that'll be huge for them. But the strength of your team is, is going to be throwing the football, right? Like they have good wide receiver depth. The offensive line can pass block. 
Um, you need to see what you have in Dewan Mathis. I'm not a huge fan of slowly bringing along quarterbacks. I think that that, you know, you, you have to figure it out eventually, like do it now against Rutgers. This is not a conference game. You can lose this game and it's not the end of the world. Let the kid throw the ball. Um, so I, I would hope that's what they would do. Now, would it surprise me if Rod Carey comes out there and he says, no, we're going to run the ball. We're going to be conservative. No, it would not. Um, but I, I hope that they don't because I think that that would just be a misuse of their strengths. Uh, you know, let Jaden blue work against these, you know, against a backup corner, let Randall Jones work against a backup corner, um, and try and expose those matchups on the outside. And I, I think that would be smart. And again, it leads to the strengths of your offensive line as well, but would it surprise me to see them come out and try and, you know, set the tone and be temple tough? Uh, no, it would not, but I, I don't think that would be smart. Again, just a reminder, um, I know obviously there was a lot of excitement in the offseason with Temple getting Iverson Clement, uh, transfer out of um, out of Florida, who played at Rancocas Valley High School. Uh, we were told this week he wouldn't be part of the game plan, still not fully back with the team yet, dealing with some personal issues, we've been told. So um, I don't know if this is going to be a rotation of, of, of Ed Sadie, Trey Blair, um, I guess. I mean, do we really know? I mean, Tavon Roy's been banged up. They, they've, they've spoken favorably. Um, about Rayvon Bonner, the Illinois transfer, but they'd said that, you know, I mean, he was out in the spring, had been banged up in the summer. So I don't know how much those guys will play again in a typical game. You typically don't rotate four guys in unless you are blowing someone out and you're, you know, cruising by the third quarter. I don't think that that's going to be the case for Temple. Um, so I don't know how much, you know, really is, is going to play or how much Rayvon Bonner plays if we're going to see mostly, uh, Ed Sadie and Trey Blair. Uh, before we move along to uh, flipping things around, again, the, the depth chart comes out. I know there weren't too many surprises, but anything that caught either one of your eyes when, when the depth chart came out? And again, I know depth charts, I don't want to say they can be useless because, you know, they could come out and first play the game in a you know formation we haven't seen with some guys in positions that we didn't expect, uh, you know, to play early on. But when you look at the depth chart, any, any surprises there? One thing I'll mention from the depth chart, which I think we can get more into when we get to the defensive side of the ball, is the fact that uh, Temple has two income now two transfers um, that they picked up both start at starting at both cornerback positions with Keyshawn Paul and Cameron Ruiz, um, two guys that are hard for us to kind of like judge that position right now because we haven't seen anything from them. I mean, Amir Tyler spoke pretty highly of them earlier this week, saying uh, they've done a great job of both understanding the playbook, understanding the plays and executing. He said there's a fine line between those two things of like guys get it and then guys go out and make those plays and show that they understand it with what they're, you know, executing on the field. Um, and he said they've been, they've, that those two guys have, been, uh, have shown a lot of maturity. So it sounds like those two definitely earn those spots. But I think for us who haven't really seen much of anything from those two guys since getting to Temple, it'll be, uh, it'll be exciting to watch those two. Yeah, I think uh, we kind of covered my big surprise. And that was like Trey Blair, seeing him as as RB2 was like very surprising. I mean, this is a player who literally just converted from safety. Um, so to see him at, at RB2 is very interesting. I wonder if that is a designation for him as like, he's going to be the third down back, the pass catcher type guy, right? And that's why they listed him as, as that RB2 spot. I think the other one, I don't want to go too deep into this because it's a little bit off topic, but at true freshman quarterback Justin Lynch is the backup. If Dewan Mathis gets hurt, you know, God forbid, uh, on Thursday night, 
true freshman Justin Lynch is going to be coming into the game. I think that was certainly not surprising because we had kind of been building to that. It felt like all camp, like every time we asked about the quarterbacks, it was Lynch before Mitchell and Valenti. When we went to practice, it was Lynch taking QB two reps over uh, those two guys. So it wasn't a surprise in the sense that like we didn't see it coming as the media, but it was a surprise to you know, have Justin Lynch come in and actually win that job. So again, I don't want to get too much into it because it's off topic, but certainly surprising to see a true freshman win that job right away. You know, the one last thing before we move over to the defensive side of the ball, I'd say another thing we don't know is uh, of this group. And again, I think it's going to be a situation where it, it might take a few weeks to sort this out. Like who, you know, who takes the lead on this? Is it Sadie? Is it Blair? Is it Kyle Dobbins? You know, do we, you know, do they sort this out? You know, do they, does somebody just put up a ton of yards against Akron and get into a groove next week? And they say, okay, this guy's our lead back. Cause again, they're not going to rotate four guys in on any given week, but we don't even know who's going to be good, you know, catching the ball out of the backfield. If they're going to throw a lot to the, to the backs coming out of the backfield, that's going to be a big part of their game plan. So that's going to be uh, another thing uh, that will, I guess, have to reveal itself over the next, uh, next few weeks. I'm not as surprised about Lynch. I mean, he's pretty much grown up in that offense and grown up around them. As, as Rod said, like, and I think your Mike Yermovich said it too. I mean, he knows that offense. I mean, his brother, you know, his brother, you know, lived it, played in it, uh, in Northern Illinois, heyday, you know, parlayed it into a brief NFL career. I know when Jordan Lynch got to the NFL, he tried to make it as, as a running back, but he was a very, very good college quarterback. He was his younger brother's coach at Mount Carmel high school out in Chicago. So, um, again, looks good throwing the ball too. He's not as tall as Dewan Mathis, but I think they see him. I don't know if they've outright said this, but I think they see him as their quarterback of the future after, after Dewan Mathis. And that's assuming, you know, Mathis holds down the job, but, um, yeah, as Dante said, if anything did happen to Mathis in this game, I think Justin Lynch is, is going in there. Um, Flip things around to uh, Temple being on defense. Again, looking at this Rutgers offense, uh, again, I think Noah Vedral more, I think we could call him more of a, uh, a game manager, a quarterback. Uh, didn't put up great numbers last year throwing the ball. I think he threw more picks than touchdowns. Uh, pretty solid running it. Um, but they're going to be facing some good receivers here in Bo Melton. Uh, Aaron Cruikshank, again, who's also dangerous in the return game, returned two kickoffs for a touchdown last year. Uh Sam, you mentioned Keyshawn Paul and Cameron Ruiz. You know, we do know that they were, they were good. I mean, they were solid at their previous, you know, programs. Now UConn didn't play last year. So Keyshawn Paul didn't play. Uh, Cameron Ruiz was, I guess, Dante White played more, more nickel than, uh, you know, more in the slot, I guess, like not a, not a necessarily a true outside guy as much, but was part of a very good Northwestern defense. So even though these guys have not played in a temple uniform yet, um, they do come in right away and, and start, you know, Frey Johnson will be in the mix and some other guys as well. But, um, how good are these receivers that, that they're facing here? How good is this offense? And again, that includes Isaiah Pacheco running back again, they've got some playmakers on that side of the ball. What are the problems here for temple? Who are the biggest you know weapons that they're, that they're going to be tested by? Yeah. I think the big one is Bo Melton, the wide receiver. Um, this is a player who torched Michigan, put up good numbers against Ohio state at, you know, you want to talk about future pros on Rutgers. Melton's probably the biggest, the easiest cinch to be a draft pick. Uh, he's going to get looks from the senior bowl and stuff. So like he's a legit potential NFL wide receiver. So I think he's the first one that you want to talk about. Um, very, very good with the ball in his hands. 
Uh, he's, you know, really got good short area quickness, good open uh, field moves. He's good down the field as well. He's a good deep ball tracker. He's got good speed. Um, he would probably be their returner if they didn't have two of the best returners in the country already. So like they're just incredibly deep um, at that spot. And I think uh, Krishik is interesting. He's not as polished as Melton is as a receiver, but they're going to try and get him the ball on bubble screens and different things like that reverses jet sweeps. And he can house those. He really can. If you're, if your tackling isn't good and you're not prepared for his speed and his burst, he can house those. So I think those are the two guys that really pop for me, but Checo's interesting. He's a good pass catching back as well. They like to throw him screens and run him out on motions and different things like that. But Melton, Melton's going to be tough. It's going to be, you know, like Sam said, Temple's got two transfer corners who, and, and John said this too, like they, they played well at their last spots, but this is going to be a big challenge for them. Melton's a legit guy. This is not, you know, this is not the the same Rutgers team that was, uh, you know, the laughing stock of the Big Ten. They have some legit players. Melton's probably the best one. So that'll be the biggest challenge, I think, for this Temple defense is containing those guys and their speed because, I mean, they're track stars, really, at the end of the day. Pacheco's a, like like Trey Blair in Temple's case. Pacheco's a former, uh, as far as I can recall, was a very good uh, high school quarterback at, at Vineland High School down in South Jersey. Bo Melton, also a former South Jersey star. Um you guys had the chance. Uh, well, Sam was there for player availability earlier this week. Talked to Amir Tyler. Here's what Amir Tyler, uh, Temple's veteran safety, a six-year player. Now, again, one of the guys that's coming back and taking advantage of that extra year of eligibility due to COVID. Um, again, the, the veteran leader of that group, one of uh, two captains who was named this week uh, on defense. And then uh, Adam Klein named the captain on the offensive side of the ball. Um, here's what Amir Tyler said about Rutgers offense. Uh, just, you know, their, their receivers, their skill players are very well. They're fast, talented, you know, just can't sleep on them guys, you know, regardless of whatever we think it is, you know, it's a different game. They can come in there with a total different game scheme than they had the rest of the years or their spring game. So, yeah, to be honest, they're definitely a good team. They're not nobody to sleep on. And, you know, you just got to stick to the plan. Right. Uh, you guys can probably hear the, the rain. Sounds like it's picking up uh, outside. I don't know if that's coming through on my mic, but... Uh... I guess we're definitely not through this, this storm yet. So uh, this podcast will be accompanied by uh, the pitter-pattering sounds of, of rain out, outside uh, outside my window here. But uh, if, people, also, if people listen to this before they go to bed, the the, the soothing rain sounds will help calm them. Well, if they're if, well, we're again recording this on. Well, how quick are you turning this around, Sam? Because if we're put, probably I listening mean, to this tomorrow. So if they're I can, I can. <laughs> if they're listening to it before they go to bed tomorrow, they're taking like a, a late morning, uh, late morning nap. So maybe that'll be relaxing for them too. You never know. Maybe someone's working a night shift. They, they listen to the pod, maybe like late morning tomorrow, take a nap. They wake up refreshed for the game. Maybe that's how it's I'm trying, to think what, I'm trying to think the weirdest place I've ever listened to a podcast would be. I like nothing's coming to mind, but there has to be one like odd place i've listened to a podcast it just, it would just ease to ease temple fans into a nap before uh before, <laughs> before uh before watching the soothing scattered report of dante colinelli easing people into a nap yes <laughs> it's just such a soothing voice um <laughs> but this is also i mean uh one of the guys that we haven't talked about yet in that temple secondary is deshaun winston another guy who was an opt-out um and then you know in spring ball you know his name just started coming up again and again and again and uh, again, they like MJ Griffin. Um, they, they say that MJ can play both spots. I, I think we've kind of said he might be, you know, maybe more of an in the box guy and maybe uh, Amir's backup. 
but you know, they, they like Deshaun Winston. He's the other starting safety there. Big test for, for him too. Again, a, another guy who is going to be playing, you know, really like significant snaps for the first time in his career against, um, you know, against a good group of receivers. Now, I think maybe the, the, the biggest question mark on defense and, and something that could help them. And we just don't know how much they're going to help is this defensive line. How much pressure can, you know, a guy like Will Rogers, Manny Walker in his second year in the program, a Leighton Jordan is Leighton Jordan. The next guy that they can groom to be an Arnold Epichetti, you know, a Quincy Roche, something like that. I, I think we've kind of said, whether we talked on this podcast or whether we're just talking amongst ourselves that, you know, maybe if you're Temple, you feel better about this game against a, a Rutgers offensive line uh, that, that wasn't great last year. Again, they gave up 21 sacks in nine games last season, but all of them are coming back. And so they've got some experience in that regard, but there is no Arnold Epichetti. There's no, you know, Ifan Maje's, you know, playing for Rutgers and he's been a little dinged up, but he's supposed to play in this game. The defensive line, again, you've got a guy like Jaquavian Mahone, another transfer from Kentucky, uh, playing nose tackle, right? They're looking for him to kind of generate some some pressure up the middle. Uh, but we don't know how well this line's going to be able to pressure a guy like Noah Vedral. Again, like on one hand, you've got some some weapons on that side of the ball for Rutgers, but if Temple can can force Vedral into mistakes, which he made last year, that I think would be their one saving grace. Again, Keyshawn Paul, Cameron Ruiz are, are solid corners. Maybe they're going to have great seasons. Freddie Johnson has been... I guess an adequate corner temple recruited him as a receiver coming out of high school, converted him to a corner. Um, but what are we expecting? And again, I think the answer is going to be, we'll have to wait and see how much pressure do you think that this, this defensive line can put uh, on Rutgers in this opener? And I guess maybe the, the follow-up question to that would be, and I think, you know, Jeff Knowles was asked about this. Do you think Jeff Knowles comes out? Maybe the more appropriate question is, does he come out, looking to blitz him right away and put some pressure on him with like maybe blitzing some linebackers, um, maybe blitzing a safety, something like that to say, okay, I'm not quite sure what I have in, in, you know, Will Rogers again, played some good football for Washington state two seasons ago, played two games last year and then opted out. Um, but there, there's no bona fide star on this line just yet. Now, again, Jeff Knowles might think differently. Maybe he thinks Nick Baggs is going to go out and, you know, have three TFLs in this game and, and play his tail off. But again, that defensive line group, a lot of question marks there for now. Are you guys expecting them to try to just, you know, kind of just rush what they have there? Or are you expecting maybe like a heavy dose of pressure and saying like, hey, let's see if we can flip the game right away and force a mistake there? Yeah, I, I asked Jeff Knowles that question the last time that he uh, was on. And he kind of said that he would bring pressure, but uh, he spent most of the answer talking about how he likes to rush with four and he wants to get home with four. So my assumption would be is that that is what they're going to do. And if it's not working, then we might see a pivot for them to send pressure. Uh, and talking about Temple's defensive line as a whole, I mean, we just don't like, I don't know anything about these guys really like outside of Manny Walker. Like it's, you know, Mahone barely played at Kentucky. Nick Baggs hasn't played at all. We haven't really seen Will Rogers in like two years. I mean, even like the two games that he played in the PAC 12 last year, that conference was a mess. The schedule was a mess. I don't even think it's fair to judge him off those games, frankly. So like, I I don't know enough about those guys. And, And the one thing that I will say is 
Rutgers offensive line, obviously, like John said, was not good last year. And I don't know if they're going to suddenly be good. Maybe they'll improve, but I, I think it's far-fetched to say that they're suddenly going to be stalwarts up there. I think the bigger challenge for Temple's defensive line will be staying disciplined. If you watch Rutgers, uh, they do a lot of weird stuff on offense, at least by college football standards. Uh, this is a team that's going to, you know, direct snap to the running back. They're going to have a lot of pre-snap motion. Guys are going to come on jet sweeps. They're going to do a lot of different screen stuff. They're going to pull linemen. Um, the quarterback run is in there. I, they had a, they had a tight end who took quarterback snaps last year, Johnny Loggins. Um, like they do, they like to do a lot of weird stuff. So discipline, having your eyes in the right place is going to be very, very important for this defensive line. Um, Rutgers is probably not going to give them a ton of opportunities to just pin their ears back and get, and get after the quarterback. So, um, being disciplined, being in your gap and kind of minimizing the big play on, on these trick plays. Cause Rutgers is going to run them. They did them all every game last year. There's at least three or four plays a game that are just like, you know, out of Greg Schiano's butt, it looks like. So I, you know, that's going to be, I think the big thing for the defensive line, but I don't know enough about these guys to say whether or not I'm confident in them. It's, it's really just going to be a, a wait and see. Yeah, I guess just to, the only thing I would add to what Dante said is that that seems to be a recurring theme within uh, across the board for Temple that there are position groups that, or I, I guess a better way of putting it is there's a lot of questions that we don't really have clear answers to that are going to be answered, uh, or they could at least in part be answered. Are going to clear things up a ton with uh, this game against Rutgers and the defensive line is absolutely one of those groups where there's a lot of guys on that defensive line that haven't played. Um, haven't played a whole lot for us to really make any concrete assessments of their game. So I think it'll be interesting to see how, how that group holds up against, uh, against Rutgers offensive line. And, and part of the conversation there, when Dante's talking about discipline, you know, you got to throw the linebackers into that group. So again, you know, again, looking at the depth chart uh, and not to say that these guys will be the only ones playing, you know, that means George Reed at the will linebacker spot weak side, uh, Will Quanku up the middle, middle linebacker, and then Quantel Reigns playing that Bubo position to get a, a West Virginia transfer. Another guy who opted out wasn't going to get the chance to play regardless because he didn't get the waiver to play right away, but a guy that hasn't played football in a year. He's um, a good player out of the Pittsburgh area, uh, out of Aliquippa. Um, he's got good size at 6'3", 200, but you've got a couple of, I would hesitate to call George Reed a veteran. He started to play some more significant snaps last year. Uh, and they like these younger linebackers, you know, that they've talked about. You guys saw, uh, those of you who are listening, you saw Kobe Wilson last year play as a true freshman. We, we know how much the coaches think of him. Uh, they're excited about what they have in Yvonne Rigby and Jordan McGee in the middle. And, and, and McGee could be kind of a swing guy. Um, I thought DJ Woodbury, I think we were talking about that in our group chat, kind of a, a bit of a surprise there, uh, who's listed as the backup at, at Bubo instead of Thomas Joe Kamara, a guy like that, again, all of this can change in a heartbeat. They, we could see different guys in the mix in the coming weeks. But uh, when it comes time to talking about being disciplined and looking at, at all those you know, trick plays and a lot of the stuff that Rutgers does that Dante has rightfully pointed out, you know, maybe it helps to have, again, I'm not saying that George Reed is a grizzled veteran, but a guy like Quenku, I, I think we can agree that maybe at some point guys like Kobe Wilson and Rigby and McGee, you maybe lap these guys, maybe they don't, but maybe it helps to have some veterans there that have played more football. Um, but again, a, another group that's that's going to be tested there. You don't have, um, you know, Isaiah Graham Mobley is not coming back, transferred to, to Boston College. There's a, a, a loss there. Now, IGM had been banged up, of course, but another group that's, you know, it's really going to be 
tested uh, as well there. Um, looking at special teams, again, another area where you look at it, again, just on paper and say, all right, maybe this isn't a great matchup for Temple. Um, not only has Temple really not, you know, not much went right for them at all last season, but they didn't make anything happen in the return game. Uh, weren't great in coverage. Um, and again, you've got, you know, Crookshank who returned two kicks for a touchdown. Josh Youngblood, a guy that had been uh, verbally committed to Temple out of the Tampa area, flipped to Kansas State. He is not Rutgers. He's also a dangerous return guy. Um, let's talk about special teams for a second before we even get to Rory Bell and Adam Barry. Did you guys get the impression um, from our media availability um, that you're going to see more starters? We think that you might see more starters playing on special teams. I know, again, I know that they like their young depth. They like their young linebackers. But, you know, do you think Rod Carey and his staff, when, you're, when they're approaching coverage, do you think they're at the point now where, like, we're going to have to play more starters on, on special teams? Because what we have done in the past, you know, for a multitude of reasons, I'm sure I'm not sitting and watching film with these guys, but they haven't been great in coverage. They've had lapses there. Do you think we're going to see a lot of, like, you know, when you're looking down your, your, your scorecard in the, in the press box uh, tonight, Oh, look, there's, there's, you know, I don't know, Amir Tyler out on special teams. There's Will Quenku out on special teams. Do you think you're going to see a lot of starters out there? Again, I know they don't want to risk injuries in a perfect situation. You like to have some of your young depth on special teams, but again, it's been such an area of concern. You're looking at a couple of dangerous returners here. Uh, do you guys think that you're going to see more familiar faces out there on the coverage units? I think we should. I, I don't know if we will or won't, but I think we should. Um, I think, Frankly, this is the area of the game where I think Temple's the most outmatched. Um, I think that, you know, they can be in the ballpark on defense if, you know, some of the new guys perform well enough. If Dwan Mathis has a solid game, I think they're comparable to that Rutgers offense. Um, Youngblood and Krishik are, are, I mean, arguably the two best returners in the entire country. Uh, Krishik was the top returner in the Big Ten last year. Youngblood was probably the best in the country at the most return yards and return touchdowns, if I remember correctly. So um, those two guys are absolutely dynamic. Now, obviously, the benefit for Temple is that only one of them can return the ball, right? So, like, right. I, I don't know if Youngblood's going to be the kick guy and if Krishik's going to be the punt return guy. I don't know what that is necessarily going to look like. I don't remember the Rutgers depth chart off the top of my head. So I don't think they list it on their depth chart, at least the one that I looked at this morning. They didn't list their 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 specialists on on returns. So okay, I don't know. Well, there you go. To, yeah. <laughs> so I, I think we should see starters on special teams because if Temple is going to get blown out, it's going to be because, you know, Rutgers gets a ton of short fields or if young blood runs one back, like, I, I think that that is the area where they're going to struggle the most. And what's concerning about this, I know you want to stay away from our specialist, but like Adam Barry as a punter had like a good year last year. Like he was very good. He was arguably the most consistent player on temples roster last year, which sounds ridiculous, but like was kind of true as the punter, like he was very good. Um, and Temple was still really bad at stopping people from, you know, getting return yards. And like Adam Barry was doing his thing and people were still able to generate returns because they couldn't tackle on the back end. So like, again, the punter can only do so much. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about this, but like, frankly, I wouldn't kick to these guys. Wouldn't mm -hmm. kick to them. Punt out of bounds. Goodbye. Try and kick it out of the end zone. Wouldn't kick to them. They can't hurt me if they don't touch the ball. That would be my strategy. And like, that's very simple, easier said than done stuff. But like that, you know, I don't know. Temple's kind of had this weird thing where like, 
they try to kick it in like the corner instead of just kicking it through the end zone. Like I don't let these guys touch the ball and they can't hurt you. I don't know. Well, see, there's another, there's another problem there too. And you know, when we talk about Rory Bell, I mean, he was five and five on field goals last year, hasn't hit one longer than, than 30 yards. And he, he says he has range that extends out to 50 yards. We'll see, but an area where he struggled. And again, he can improve. He's young, just like Adam Barry was not a good punter two seasons ago. As Dante just said, he got a lot better last year. He was the second best punter in the conference. So he made mark improvement. Uh, Rory Bell struggled on, on kickoffs. I mean, Temple was a team that was, you know, 10th out of 11 teams on kickoff returns last season uh, in the conference, 105th nationally in kickoff coverage. They just had only two of their kickoffs went for touchbacks, which is an obvious problem. You know, if they had a kickoff specialist uh, or if Bell, now I don't know, maybe Bell got better. Maybe you're going to see him put some balls, you know, into the back of the end zone that are going to go for touchbacks, which, which would obviously be huge uh, against this team, given their, their return talent. But that's a, that's a problem. I don't know if another thing on special teams and, you know, they've talked about Noah Botts for the guy that they brought in from St. Thomas Aquinas high school down in, uh, in Florida, you know, um, Brett Dearson was talking about how much he likes him. He played in a big time program. I don't know how strong his leg is. I don't know if, you know, if, if, if bell on the opening kickoff, let's say Rutgers gets the opening kickoff and, and, uh, and bell lands his first kickoff at the five and you're thinking, Oh boy, you know, this, and it doesn't go well. Do they try Bots, Botsford as a, as a kick specialist, a kickoff specialist there? I don't know. But again, we only know what we know from last season. And Roy Bell was not a guy that was consistently banging him out into the, you know, the back of the end zone for touchbacks. Uh, he had the one kickoff, I think, that went out of bounds at some point. So obviously, again, most people know this. You can put a punt out of bounds, put a kickoff out of bounds. You're going to be penalized for it. So I would agree with you, Dante. I mean, it sounds simple, but I would try to, you know, if Adam Barry has gotten really good at, at you know, punting out of bounds and putting some of these kicks into the, into the corner. Great. If Rory Bell has strengthened his leg and can get some touchbacks, great. But if not, you're going to be relying upon what I would think should be some starters in there on special teams, because and you can tell too, I mean, these guys are just getting sick of answering questions about it. As long as it's an issue, uh, you know, fans are going to say, well, this is, you know, we know the drill. If, if Fed Foley was still here, you know, they'd be much better on special teams. They'd be blocking kicks and stuff like that. But, um, and it's going to be it's going to be an issue. The one thing we don't know much of either is, you know, how Temple's going to approach the, the return game, uh, because, again, they haven't really that wasn't an area where they made any difference last year. I think they returned like all of four punts last season. They just don't make anything happen in the return game. Uh, do you think that obviously any coach would say, yeah, we want that to happen? Is that an area where Temple can improve? We know they can improve, but. Could we see anything in that area tomorrow night? Or again, for recording this on Wednesday night, you're listening to this uh, on a Thursday. Anything you're expecting there? Anything in the way of uh, Jaden Blue um, returning kicks or maybe um, anyone else they try there to affect the game differently? I'm not getting my hopes up about uh, Temple. Temple special teams doing anything to really affect the game until they do it. I'm not expecting it's going to happen until I see it because Brett Dearson almost verbatim said that he, he wants to keep things simple. He doesn't want to make go crazy on special teams. He said back in the spring, uh, and again, I, I, well, I am paraphrasing. This is not exactly what he said, but this is for the gist of what he said back in the spring was like, he wants to keep things simple because guys, as much as they put an emphasis on special teams, they also, he said he understands guy. It's not guy's main position. 
they're more concerned about their main position. So he wants to make things fun, simple, and just get the job done. So until I, until I see it with my own two eyes, I'm not expecting anything out of the ordinary, out of the blue. Huh? Huh? Mm, out of the good. blue. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> from Temple and special teams. Seeing Sam's face light up and go, huh? Huh? <laughs> I agree with Sam. I mean, I remember last year, I, I think somebody asked Rod in, in a post-game presser, like, hey, like, why aren't you guys returning the ball? And Rod was literally like, I just want them to fair catch it. And, and like, which is such a, which is, you know, such a, for most people, just such a turnoff of an answer. Right. And again, I get where he's coming from and that, I, but I think that if you, and again, this isn't rocket science. If a coach is saying, I just want them to fair catch it, then you're not, you a don't have, obviously if you had a dynamic returner back there, if you felt like you had a dynamic returner back there, you're going to, you're the last thing you're going to tell them to do is fair catch it unless the situation calls for it. Right. But when you hear, when you hear a coach say that it's just like such a bland, bland answer, because again, this is, this is a program that had made part of its mark on special teams. And I think that's been one of the criticisms of the staff. And again, it's not going to go away until they remedy it, if they can remedy it. But yeah, as Dante said, I just want them to fair catch it. I get like playing it safe, but at some point, if you're a team that's relying this much on transfers and this much on some young depth, you know, what if you can win a game and turn a game on special teams? You're not going to do it by fair catching it unless you're playing the field position game and you're, and you're playing the long game there. But you, so you guys think it'll just um, continue in that fashion. And I guess even before I get to that, one of the things we didn't mention, yes, Jaden Blue is currently slated to be the punt returner. Devon Fox is a guy that's listed now on the depth chart. Maybe a bit of a surprise there. Maybe a, maybe a, a younger receiver who's fast. Maybe he can make something happen in, on kickoff returns. But again, until he does it, we just just haven't haven't seen it there it's just uh another question mark again now if Jaden blue can return a punt for a touchdown we're talking about that as a success story maybe a reason why they steal this game up there but um you know just you talking about the i just want them to fair catch it it just brings back memories of hearing that last year and i'm thinking this isn't going to play well not that these coaches really have to cater to a fan base but i'm thinking like you know people are going to hate hearing this yeah i mean i think uh and sam even you know like Dearson's quote kind of echoes the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like he was just basically like, yeah, like I'm going to keep it simple. We're not going to try and do anything crazy. And to me that says like, okay, we're not going to send extra guys to block punts. You know what I mean? And, and like, I just, I don't, I don't get that. I know it sounds like a, it, it's, it is a, and I'm sorry to cut you off. It is a sort of like a, it's a rallying cry of fans and it sounds like a fanish thing to say, but yeah, I don't, I realize that there are programs in America that not everybody like sends the house all the time. And, but yeah, they don't even try. I don't like, I get that, you know, maybe you, you scale things back. If you send a bunch of guys and then you're continually getting, you know, roughing the punter penalties and stuff like that, but yeah, they just don't send guys. And I just, I don't, I don't get that. I don't know. I don't know why they play it safe because it, it hasn't worked for them. You know, I just don't, I don't really get that. I don't either. And I think the, even like the weirder part of it, and you kind of touched on this in your first um, uh, segment there was like, you know, Temple identified with special teams for like, you know, a long time and, and arguably one of the better stretches in, in recent program history. Like that was, you know, 
a part of their identity, right. Is like, okay, we're going to be temple tough. We're going to win in the trenches and we're going to win on special teams. And like, they won football games like that. They won football games like that under Matt rule. They won football games like that under Jeff Collins. Like, you know, they won on special teams and it was a big factor for them. Right. Sean Bradley, right. Played on special teams. Sam Franklin played on special teams. Those are two guys who made 53 man rosters as special teams players, but they're also going to get run at their positions too. So they're not slouches. Right. And like temple identified with being good on special teams, right. Brandon McManus, kicker in the NFL. I mean, like this, you know, like temple and special teams, like that's a part of the brand. So like, that's why it's even weirder for me. There are good schools, you know, like there are sec schools who don't do much on special teams. Right. But it's not their brand. Like temple, like they can afford not to do it. Exactly. Right. Like temple made that a part of why they were going to be successful for a long time. And it really helped them. They stole games on special teams for a couple of years. And I, I know like my frame of reference is not as long as yours is John, but like, I like even just the past couple of years, they stole games on special teams before Rod Carey came in. So like, again, it's, it is very weird. Maybe they don't feel like they have the personnel for it. Like maybe that is what it is. I, I don't know, but like, you know, even when they had some of those guys, even when they had Sam Franklin, even when they had Sean Bradley, they weren't really pushing the envelope then. So honestly, I think this is just the staff philosophy. You know, I'd be interested to, to like go back to Northern Illinois and like see if they did anything differently there. I haven't really checked on that, um, but I, I just think this is the way it is. And I don't think it's going to change. I think we're going to see a lot of fair catches. I don't think they're going to send a lot of people to block punts or kicks. And we're just going to have to live with that. I really think that's what, you know, I think the bigger part of this game is going to have to be, can they cover the Rutgers guys? If they can do that, all right, maybe special teams is a wash. And in a matchup like this, that's a win. But, you know, if you're playing South Florida and you wash in special teams, I mean, I think that's a loss, right? So this this is a conversation we can continue to have all year. um, But I don't think it's going to change. I really don't. Yeah. We've got, um, we've got uh, some mailbag questions here. The first one comes from Green Street Al, and he's asking, it's a, it's a two-part question here. Question one, around the horn, game-by-game predictions, and one out-of-the-box prediction related to Thursday's game. So I don't want to disrespect Green Street Al here. Let me ask Dante and Sam, I ask you guys this. Do we just want to do a prediction for this game? Do we really want to go down the whole schedule and predict every game? It's I, I, I get it. Like, looking at the schedule, looking ahead, it's fun. They do it on talk radio when the Eagle schedule comes out. I just feel like we'd be spinning our wheels if we went with all the question marks on this team. Although Sam is raising his finger at me. Maybe he, maybe he is, maybe he wants to rifle through the schedule here. I started to talk, but I was on mute. I think it's a next week thing. I think we all take one week to see what we, what, to see what we see from this team. And then maybe next week we have some question answer. Then maybe we can, uh, have more of a sense of what the season is. But we're, we're, as you said right now, it's so hard. To, it, we're shooting blanks right now if we make predictions like that. When a, you know, Kyle Gauss, our assistant editor, again, he's off tonight, uh, did a behind the enemy lines piece with the, the Rutgers site, and he predicted the Temple, I think, would uh, was either like 28-17, 31-17, something along those lines. Predicted a Temple loss. Well, we'll again, predictions are, you know, not worth much, but yeah, we'll do it. They can be fun. Uh, we'll go around the horn here just on this game. Sam, I'll start with you. Go to Dante. I'll go last. What are you, what are you thinking? I'm going to go with the Rutgers 24 temple 17. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a close game up until like 
the third quarter and then Rutgers pulls away and then Temple kind of can't really close that, like struggles to really close that gap. That's my, that's my inclination. Uh, Rod Carey called this a four quarter game on Monday. He said, it's, a, you know, implying it's the kind of game they're going to have to grind all four quarters out if they're going to win. But uh, I think Rutgers wins by it's probably a two score game. Dante. I'm going to go 35, 24 Rutgers. I think they get the job done. Um, I'm not very good at predictions though, for what it's worth. Um, <laughs> but nobody, I, nobody is. Yeah. Right. I, I think that, I think Temple keeps it close for a little bit, but I think at the end of the day, you know, I, I, I have a funny feeling Rutgers is going to get like a fluky touchdown or, you know, on like a trick play or a special teams play that'll kind of separate the game a little bit. Um, so I, I I'm going to go with 35, 24 Rutgers. Yeah. I, you know, I've kind of gone back and forth on this a little bit, not, um, and I was talking to Kyle about this, you know, I, I, again, I don't think we're talking about a Rutgers team that is in the same league as, you know, Ohio state or anything like that, but they've, they've got some players this temple team does seem very confident to me. I don't know if part of that is just like, look, last year was just such a crap show. We didn't start until October. We couldn't even practice at the same time. We had to lift and shifts. They, they seem very exuberant, very confident coming out of, you know, coming out of the first couple of weeks in camp uh, up in the Bronx. And I, I think they like their team, I think, and not just in a like, hey, we like our team. I think they're very confident heading into this game and kind of like the fact that they're, that they're underdogs. And when I take a step back and I say, okay, again, they're not facing a that great of a quarterback, but they are facing some good receivers, a pretty solid running back, a good secondary. I think there are avenues for Temple to win this game and that, you know, Dewan Mathis, if he is as good as advertised or as, as good as we think he can be, he, he doesn't have like, uh, you know, empty options there at receiver. Again, Jaden Blue's good. Randall Jones is good. David Martin Robinson's got some experience We'll see if Jose Barbone and a guy like Ronnie Stevenson can compliment them. But I think there are ways that Temple can win this game. You know, I think that if they can generate some pressure, again, they're not, they're not facing a group of world beaters on, on Rutgers offensive line. Part of me thinks it could be a, a close game. What, what, you know, what I don't love for them is just like the special teams aspect of things. Again, something as simple as like, if Rory Bell can't get you a couple of touchbacks in this game, you're it's really risky for them in the return game until I've seen it. They haven't proven it yet. I think special teams hurts them. Uh, I agree with Dante. I think there might be one fluky play on offense. Again, Dante talked about how creative Rutgers is with its game plan. A lot of jet sweeps, a lot of different things. Uh, I I think it's a 31, 17, maybe a 31, 24 type of game. Um, I think if, again, this is going to sound like a, such a defeatist attitude of a fans hearing about this, I think obviously if they go out and win this game, I'll be impressed. And then I think my, my perception of the season changes a lot because of that secondary they're facing because of the return options that Rutgers has. As of now, I, I'd have a hard time predicting a Temple win. Um, again, I, I agree with Dante. I think there's going to be some sort of fluky play that kind of maybe gives Rutgers a little bit of a cushion. But again, what the hell do I know? I, I thought they were going to win six or seven games last season, and they obviously did not. So. Uh, they, bar- they barely played six or seven games last yes, season. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, should have, should have known better. So, yeah, maybe we'll take a, a deeper look at, at the schedule after, after next week. Um, question number two from Green Street, Al. Uh, 
I haven't read anywhere about how COVID testing is going to work. Does the team have a high enough vaccination percentage they can avoid it? Or are we going to see the same game day circus atmosphere like last season? So um, I've talked to a few people about this. I think when, when Green Street Owls talked about the game day circus atmosphere, COVID in general, the ECU game where you had four guys, you know, pulled from the lineup right before the start of the game. Um, you know, they're, they're, you know, they're playing with their fifth string quarterback. Um, you know, from what I've been told, the program feels pretty good about the number of players who are vaccinated. Those who aren't get tested regularly and aren't even permitted inside the team's facility at Berg Olson Hall. So, you know, I far be from me to predict anything in terms of how things are going to go with this pandemic, but I am, I, I think things will be a lot more stable for them than they were last year uh, in terms of where they feel they are with their vaccination rate and testing. I don't think it's going to be like what we saw last year. And I think just for humanity's sake and for their sake, I hope it's not uh, that type of situation. I, I don't think it will be. Green Street now also said, thanks and keep up the great work. Uh, cheers to a good season and bowling. So he's uh, hoping for a bowl game. Like I'm sure most fans are. Um, second question comes from dblaze75. Again, these are screen names on our alscoop.com message boards. Uh, question there, what do you think is going to be the biggest problem area for the Owls on Thursday? For example, stopping the run, special teams, et cetera. What is going to be the biggest area of success for the Owls? What do you guys think? I can take this one first. I, I'm going to stray away from special teams because we just talked about that a little bit. I think one problem area for them and we talked, a, a, we talked in a good chunk earlier in the show about uh, how strong Rutgers secondary is. I think as strong as Dewan Mathis' arm is, I think it's going to be tough for him to be able to establish a deep ball uh, at any point in this game. I think finding any consistency or any rhythm with the deep ball is going to be a, is going to be a problem area for Temple. Dante, what do you think? Yeah, I think problem area for me is going to be running the ball. Um, offensive line was not good at it last year. This is a group of running backs that are, are incredibly unproven. Uh, RB1, Edward Sadie, and RB3, um, Dobbins there. I mean, they ran for like 121 combined yards last year. And then Trey Blair, who's the RB2, it was a safety convert. So like very scary. I think area of success um, with Rene out, I think that they can win some matchups on the outside in the passing game. Now I agree with Sam. I'm not sure those are going to be like 50 yard completions, but like, you know, I could see Jaden blue catching a slant and making a guy miss and picking up 30 yards, mostly on the ground, right? Like I could see him winning at the line of scrimmage against a backup corner. Um, so I think that could be an area of success for this team, but I do agree with Sam. I don't think this is going to be, you know, Dwan Mathis dropping bombs for four quarters. I, I think that I don't think that's going to happen, but I do think that they can win on the outside and in the short to intermediate areas of the field for sure. I'll say just a, a follow up here. And it might sound like a simple question, but we've talked about this with Dwan Mathis. Again, we have to see it, but what we think that he can do walk listeners through what could potentially change with him at quarterback. When the initial read breaks down, the initial play breaks down, Look, there were some times where Anthony Russo could roll to his right and throw on the run. He's got a got a, a strong arm. They did try to run him a little bit, but again, he can't run it. And not that Anthony Russo ever, you know, you know, promoted himself as this big time like dual threat quarterback. They would try to run him a little bit, but he was more of a pocket passer. Again, he had his moments, put up some good numbers, but there were times obviously where he tried to rely on his arm talent and made some bad decisions. What's possible? potentially possible for Temple with the Math as a quarterback when things initially break down. And again, we're not talking about just design runs. What changes on the field when he can shake a guy loose 
and a, a Jaden Blue, a Randall Jones, uh, you know, a Ronnie Stevenson, uh, uh, Jose Barbon looks back and says, oh, I can alter my route here. What's possible for them in terms of what he can do in the pocket to extend plays? I mean, uh, so much, right? Like that wasn't a part of Temple's game plan, right? And you don't game plan that per se, but like, you know, with Russo, a quarterback, like you said, he had his certain, like he was good at a lot of stuff. Anthony Russo is a good, you know, college quarterback. Right. Um, but he was not going to be a guide who avoid pressure, right? Step away from a blitz. You know, if they got into the backfield, Russo was going down if the ball wasn't out of his hands like that. And, you know, that's none fault of his. Like you said, he was not the best athlete in the world. Mathis gives you an opportunity to where, you know what, the right tackle screwed up, but Mathis just out-athleted the defensive end and he rolls out to his right and Jaden Blue sees that. And you know what, maybe the corner's in good positioning, but Blue works back to the ball and it's a seven-yard completion instead of a seven-yard sack, right? Like it doesn't even always have to be a big play, right? It doesn't have to be Patrick Mahomes throwing the ball 35 yards across his body. Even when you can turn, you know, a three-yard sack into a five-yard completion, right? Like you say, Mathis, you know, he gets out of the pocket and you know what? He just dumps it off to Trey Blair on third and two and they get four, right? Like that's an incredibly positive play. So I think that's what you get with Mathis, right? A better athlete. Um, and, I, and I think that that opens up a lot of stuff. And again, you can't really plan for that, right? Like you, you expect that it will happen at some point, but you know, it's not like they're going to go out there and they're going to say, all right, we are not going to block the uh, defensive end and we're going to let Mathis make a move and have him roll out. Right. We're not going to see that, but it gives Temple uh, more opportunities. The range of outcomes on every play is better with Dewan Mathis at quarterback if he can figure out the other part of his game, right? And he can be, you know, good inside of structure as well. But his ability to create outside of structure, I mean, could be, you know, a, a really, really important thing in this game because, you know, it goes to other things as well, right? The red zone. Temple struggled in that last year with Anthony Russo quarterback the first right. couple of games of the year. They really just could not punch the ball in. You know, they had the two-point conversion where Russo made the wrong read in the red zone. They couldn't get that uh, done, right? Math is that you, if you can create in the red zone, that's a condensed space. It's even easier to run the scramble drill there because, you know, the corners are, they're already pressed for space, right? So like you are able to work in a little window in the red zone. If you're rolling out it is a huge advantage. So um, Mathis uh, expands the range of outcomes on plays in a positive way, simply put. Um, and again, the big point, the big thing for him is going to be in a structure play. Like that's where I'm worried. I'm sure he'll make a couple of really nice plays outside the pocket, but yeah, it'll be a big deal for Temple. And it will be a way to throw off these safeties, you know, right. Cause they're really good in their schemes. They're really, really disciplined. Rod Carey said that this week. Um, but if you can get them in the scramble drill, those schemes start to break down. Those responsibilities start to break down. So it makes things easier. My final question here uh, from the message boards. I'm just double checking here. We don't have any more. Um, last question here comes from Park Al again from the from our message board. Um, which transfer? His question is: Which transfer out of the program is going to be the most missed, and which transfer in, excluding Mathis, will have the the biggest impact? I think Arnold Devichetti is unequivocally the most missed uh, yep. transfer out. Yep. Um, transfer coming in with the biggest impact, excluding Dewan Mathis. I'm buying myself time while I think about an answer. I think I'm going to go with, I'm forgetting someone. I'm going to go with Will Rogers. I think, I think he could be the kind of guy on the defensive line that becomes that standout guy, maybe three, four, even five games into the season. Um, 
that proves to be that guy in the defensive line that is able to uh, to rush the quarterback the way we've seen Temple defensive lines in um, in the past. So I think Will Rogers is probably my answer. What do you think, Dante? Um, I'll give two different answers, but I do agree that Ebiketti is easily the the most yeah. missed guy. Um, I will give a similar answer. I think uh, Chris Banks is a big one. I thought he really had, he was one of the few guys who had a good year last year on defense. Mm -hmm. And I thought that he really could have taken a year two jump and kind of the same reason, right. That we're going to miss Evacetti is that pass rush, right? Like Banks was pretty explosive. He got some penetration. So I'll go with that. And then I think biggest transfer in, um, I'm going to cop out and say two guys, but they play the same position. It's the corners. Yeah. Uh, if you can't cover in the American, you're not going to win this conference. Like you just, if you cannot cover, you're not going to win the conference. Even if you're a good team. Um, you know, we saw a couple of years ago when Temple went to SMU and SMU just burned them for days because they struggled to cover that day. You know, yeah, they lost to UCF that year because they struggled to cover on the outside a little bit and they had Harrison hand who was an NFLer. So like you need to cover at multiple spots. So I think those two uh, corners would be the big guys coming in. Yeah, I would. I would have to go. And I agree with you. Ebiketti is just such a loss for them. And I, I thought that, you know, based off of his makeup and how he is, you know, for, for Temple's sake, I thought, you know, maybe he's a guy who sticks around and doesn't think about the grass being greener on the other side. But, you know, Penn State obviously had their way of putting some fjords out to him and he ends up in the Big Ten. And uh, yeah, if he continues to progress the way he has, I do think we'll be seeing him in the NFL. So he's a huge loss. Yeah. I, I think, you know, if you look at Rogers now, if, if Rogers ends up being the, the guy making the biggest impact, then again, maybe we're talking about temple being a closer to a seven win team, but it's hard to argue with the corners too, as Dante said, again, that every team, almost every team in the American short of you know, maybe Navy. And there's such a, an extreme case because they run the triple option every team in the American likes to spread you out. And if, you know, I mean, Keyshawn Paul and, and Cam Ruiz have to be good as, you know, as does a guy like Freddie Johnson, as does, you know, um, you know, a timation, a timation, Elijah Clark, you know, the safeties, everybody's got to be good in the secondary, but um, I agree with you, Dante. I mean, the corners have to be good. And again, they were good. I mean, Keyshawn Paul was, I, I would dare say pretty good, even really good at UConn a couple of years ago. And again, I know that, that, Ruiz wasn't the, the best corner at Northwestern, still part of a very good defense and, and knows how to play. Again, how good they'll be in Temple scheme, we'll have to see. But, you know, those guys have to be good. If they're not, it's going to be an even longer season. And, you know, again, I think that Temple has to bounce back and show some progress. And if you can see that they're heading in the right direction, a six-win season might be easier to swallow if you look and say, okay, Dwan Mathis showed that he's the real deal. Uh, maybe, you know, wow, Ed Sadie can really run. Trey Blair can be good. Um, maybe a younger guy like, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, maybe a younger corner flashes and you see some signs of progress. But again, if, if, if guys like Keyshawn Paul and Cam Reeves can't cover, like Dante said, they're going to be, could be a really, really long season because we didn't go through the whole schedule, but on paper, it's not, it's definitely not easy. So uh, that'll do it for this week. Great stuff, guys. Again, uh, it'll be fun to, have a game to cover again, uh, you know, follow Dante for our coverage, follow Sam. He's going to be covering the game for the Inquirer, still part of our staff as well. Um, happy for you guys to get up there, cover some football. I'll be with you um, when they uh, come back home. Uh, well, a couple of weeks, they'll, they'll be playing uh, Boston College. So I'll see you guys there. But um, 
see you guys on the post-game Zoom press conference as well. So uh, thank you to all of you for listening. Uh, happy for everyone to get some college football that they can watch. And uh, thanks for sticking around for another episode. And we'll talk to you soon.